Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warm up, Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Visa Family Podcast. We've got a tremendous podcast for you. Joining me in segment number two, John Jans, who does tremendous work over at Fox Sports Philadelphia, The Gambler. We're going to be diving in on what is going to be a tremendous series between the Phillies and the Milwaukee Brewers. We did see Game 1 on Friday. That happened just before we did that interview. But going to be taking a look at the lay of the land for the Phillies. What has been going oh so right with Trey Turner along with Bryce Harper. We're going to take a look at the National League playoff picture as well. So we're going to be diving in on that in segment number two. In the final segment, going to get you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this baseball Saturday as we touch them all. If you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire in whatever you like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but had a great day of baseball on Friday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Speaking of that Phillies versus Brewers series, my DK Network write a pick for Friday with some Milwaukee Brewers and it looked like it was going to be going down in a fiery heap in the eighth inning. And then Alec Bohm made a really bad error to help the Brewers score three runs in the eighth inning. And the Brewers get it done by a count of 7-4 to as Freddy Peralta was dealing in the sixth inning set. He was in. Gave up a leadoff home run to Kyle Schwarber for Schwarber. That is his 38th home run in the campaign. And then he would allow one hit. The remaining six innings gave up just that one run, 10 strikeouts. Over his last seven starts, he's given up eight runs and it's averaging 14.8 strikeouts per nine innings. And then the bullpen tried to yak this one away. Hobie Milner, he goes for a squirrel saying, and then Joel Piamps loads up the bases, gives up three earned runs over the course of two-thirds of an inning. Devin Williams, he then allows a home run to one train Turner down for what? As Turner, three-run shot, 20th home run of the series, but Williams would recover with a scoreless inning, giving up one run in one and a third innings. And for the Phillies, Zach Whelan and Dillon Wheeler. It was not Whelan and Dillon. 
For the seventh time in his last 12 starts, he has given up at least three runs. Gave up a three spot in six innings with a home run coming off the bat of William Adamas. 22nd of the campaign. From there, Gregory Soto scrolls saying, and then Jose Alvarado has been so good for the Phillies out of the bullpen. He was the deficitiary because you've got beneficiaries. He's the deficitiary of that Alec Bohm air. So he lost four runs, only one of which was earned over the third of an inning before Jeff Hoffman gets a pair of outs out of the bullpen. And the Brewers, they moved to 75 and 59, and they maintain their hold on the NL Central. As you did see a pair from the Cubs and the Reds who are trying to track them down, and they split game number one. That went the way of the Chicago Cubs by kind of 6-2, the Reds, by the way. Over the last 30 days, they have been your best under team in all of baseball. We have really seen that offense not really doing a whole lot of lot, but for the Cubs, Jordan Wicks gives up one run over the course of five innings. Geeky Thompson, in two innings of long relief, gives up a run, but Danny Palencia, along Julia Merriweather, both turn a squirrel setting and trail of home runs. For the Cubs, C.A. Suzuki, 14th home run season off of Dan Duarte. The starter in Graham Ashcraft gave one up to Cody Bellinger, 21st of the season, as Ashcraft gives up three runs over the course of five innings. As for Dan Duarte, gave up one run and one and two-thirds innings. And then Derek Law gave up two runs and one and a third innings, giving up a shot to Ian Happ, his 17th home run of the campaign. You also had coming in for an inning, Lucas Sims scoreless. But for the Reds, 2-11 with men in scoring position as you had the Cubs being able to get that one done. And then in game number two, the script was flipped. The Reds get a 3-2 win as Lyon Richardson got the start in this one. And it wasn't terrible. He wasn't great. He gave up two runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings. Cody Bellinger, for the second time in the day, he got his 22nd home run of the campaign. He went deep as for the Cubs. They went with the wholesale approach. Jose Cuas, he came in for two-thirds of an inning as the opener. Scoreless, Drew Smiley from there. Gives up one run in three innings. Ada Wozneski. Saw it out of the bullpen. Six strikeouts, three and a third inning scoreless. Mark Leiter Jr. scoreless saying, and then Adbear Alsley gives up a walk-off shot. As for the Cincinnati Reds, Nick Martini, he was able to get his third home run of the campaign. Actually, was not a walk-off shot as that tied the game in the ninth, and then the Reds would walk it off a little bit later off of Elsley, but pretty much doomed them as for the Reds, their bullpen was on point. Ian Gabo, two squirrel settings, Buck Farmer, Alexis Diaz, they both turned a squirrel setting in. Sam Mole was able to come in, and he got a squirrel setting as well. Right now, your top over team in all baseball is the LA Dodgers, and clean up from Thursday, because we did have a pair of West Coast games. The Dodgers lost on Thursday by kind of 8-7, to seven as in that one, you did see a trio of home runs coming off of old Lance Lynn. Also, Riley, 32nd home run of the season. Riley Cunha Jr., Grand Slam is 30th. And Michael Harris, uh, thir- second is 13th home run season. And Spencer Strider, really didn't help but his sign on candidacy. He gave up four runs at six innings himself, including home run to Mookie Betts. He would get 37 and 38 of the campaign going deep off of Joey Menes as well. A.J. Minter gave up a home run to Max Muncy, his 32nd home run season. Then Matt Bush went deep off of Joey Menes as well, his second of the campaign for a Menes, giving up two solo runs in an inning. A.J. Minter, Pierce Johnson, they piecemeal together an inning with Minter giving up that solo run and Rossi Iglesias scoreless inning to be able to get the save as Lance Lynn gave up seven of the eight runs out of the bullpen and four to third innings. Victor Gonzalez, Shelby Mulder, Bruce Sarder, Gridrall, all lend a scoreless inning and Alex Vesia an under run give it up in his one and two-thirds innings. And then we saw it again on Friday. The Dodgers fall to the Braves at home by a count of six to three as Max Freed, boy, he was free to just go out there and wreak havoc. Ten strikeouts and seven scoreless innings. They had Pierce Johnson look shaky from there, giving up three runs and two-thirds of an inning as it was home run number three of the season for Colton Wong, the 
Failure for the Seattle Mariners a little bit earlier on in the campaign, but then you had Kirby Yates be able to turn a squirrel setting for a save, and Michael Tonkin gotten out of the bullpen. Meanwhile, Ronald Acuna Jr., he's trying to make sure he stays on top in the MVP race. 31st home run of the season comes off of Julio Arias. Arias gave one up to Travis Arnault, his 10th, and Marcel Ozuna, his 32nd, as well as for Arias. Gives up five runs in five innings, including those three home runs. Caleb Ferguson, Ryan Brazier, they both turned a squirrel setting. And Gus Varland, he went for two innings. He gave up a run as well in that Giants versus Padres series. You did see on Thursday, the Giants be able to get a 7-2 win. They have struggled on offense, but not on that night. As Jacob Junis goes for the scoreless innings. John Manea piggyback, giving up one run in three to third innings. Ryan Walker, pair of outs out the bullpen scoreless. And then Scott Alexander turns a scoreless inning. Meanwhile, Mikey Stremski went deep off of Matt Waldron for his 12th home run season as Pedro Avila. Six runs, only one of which was earned. I kid you not, the Padres gave the San Francisco Giants six outs in the third inning on Thursday. Yeah, that's been really bad. This has just been a team miring in mediocrity all season long, and mediocre is putting it very generously right now. It's even worse than that, as you actually have seen about 58% of Padres games go under the total. Matt Waldron in super long relief gave up just a home run in five innings. Ray Kerr, he was able to end a scroll ascending, and then on Friday, we did see the San Diego Padres get back online. Another over, but 7-3. They're able to get it done as Michael Walka does not get lit up. Two runs surrendered over the course of six innings. He did give up a home run to Wilmer Flores. 20th of the season, 12th since the All-Star break. No other Giants player has more than four home runs since the All-Star break. They have been dead last with their batting average since the break as Tristan Beck. Typically, they throw an opener for him, and now we see why. Six runs surrendered over the course of two and two-thirds innings for the Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr. has really struggled against his 21st home run season. Juan Soto is 26th. From there, the pitching was good. Alex Wood, an unearned run, surrendered at three innings. Luke Jackson, one and a third inning squirrel. Scott Alexander, a squirrel setting, but damage had been done. As Nick Martinez, two squirrel settings for the Padres. And Scott Parlow continues his relatively rough season, gives up a run in an inning himself. You also saw out there in the American League, the Seattle Mariners have been white hot. They lose to the Metropolitans. This by a count of 2-1. to one. Daniel Vogelback. Go ahead, RBI. He's had a rough year all season long, but got it done here. Can't blame this loss on Logan Gilbert. Gives up one run in six and two-thirds innings, giving up a home run to Brandon Nemo, 20th home run season. Gabe Spire gets it on out of the bullpen, and Andres Munoz was able to go for a scoreless inning himself. By the way, if you're looking at teams that have been very good to the under, the Mets, 67.2% of their home games have gone under the total. And for Seattle, lone form of offense was J.P. Crawford, 13th home run season. That comes off of Kodai Senga. Senga was terrific, giving up that home run in seven innings, 12 punch-outs. From there, Phil Pickford, Drew Smith, they were both able to turn a scoreless inning. The Tampa Bay Rays, they've been able to get much more online recently, but they are not helping out their cause and trying to catch up with the Orioles, who also lost on Friday, but they fall by a count of 3-2 to the Cleveland Guardians. Tyler Glass now gives up three runs over the course of seven innings before Jalen Beeks turns his scoreless inning, but you did see for Cleveland them be able to go 2 of 8 with men in scoring position as the return of Cal Quantrill went well, giving up two runs over the course of six innings. Eli Morgan, Trevor Steven, Emmanuel Classe from there, all able to turn a scoreless inning. And I was mentioning the Baltimore Orioles. They fall to the Arizona the Diamondbacks by a count of 42 as Corvin got the start and he gave up four runs at five and two thirds innings, including a pair of home runs going deep for Arizona. 
Christian Walker, 29th home run season, and Lourdes Gurriel is 21st. From there, you did have Joy Kribiel, Shintero Fujinami, both London Squirrels, Senna and Sino Perez, got in out of the bullpen. Meanwhile, for Arizona, you saw Zach Davies give up one run in six innings. Kyle Nelson, Kevin Ginko combined for two innings with Ginko giving up a run and Paul Sewell able to close things out with a save. So big for an Arizona team that has been all over the place recently, to say the least. The Oakland A's have been all over the place as well. And for the Oakland A's, they've been one of your top over teams in all of baseball this season. They play another one and they take it to the very sad LA Angels. This by kind of 9-2 for the Halos. Patrick Sandoval give up five runs in three and two-thirds innings, and then Ibe Badia out of the bullpen goes two innings. He allows four runs, including a home run going deep for Oakland. Home run number three of the season for Esteri Ruiz. Along the way, you did have one and a third inning scoreless from Jimmy Harrigan, and Geraldo Reyes was able to end a scoreless saying, Logan Hoppy, good news, sixth home run of the season. That comes off Spencer Patton. That came in the ninth inning when it was way too little, way too late. J.P. Sears, six squirrel settings. Lucas Hersedge, squirrel setting the Patton. Because of that home run in an inning. And Sean Newcomb, he goes for an inning, giving up a run along the way. So, Oakland now 40-95, and 95, but it feels like the Angels have been even worse recently. The Toronto Blue Jays, they get a 13-9 win over the Colorado Rockies. A Rockies team that they've had a little bit of a tough time with their offense recently. And for the Colorado Rockies... It was not necessarily the world's worst start for Chris Flexen. Four runs surrendered to five two-thirds hangs at Coors is actually not a bad start. Did give up three home runs along the way. That's a little bit less than Savory as Danny Jansen got home run number 17 of the season. Brandon Belt is 16th. And the first for Ernie Clement. Meanwhile, for the Jays, Hunjin Ryu gave up two runs in five innings, including a home run going deep for Colorado. It was number six of the season for Elierius Montero. A little bit later on, Genesis Guerrero gives one up to Nolan Jones. His 14th home run season as for Chad Green, his first appearance in quite a while, I believe, with the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, he gave up four runs and two-thirds of an inning, but he did have Jordan Romano get in out of the bullpen scoreless for Cabrera. He gave up that solo run in a third of an inning. Yimmy Garcia, two unearned runs surrendered in his two-thirds of an inning. David Schneider has actually been very good for this team. He commits an error as Jordan Hicks, Trevor Richards. They both lend a scoreless inning, and for the Rockies, they have an ERA that is north of 725 out of the bullpen over the last 30 days. Daniel Bard gives up three runs over the course of an inning. He's just shot. Tommy Doyle, one run surrendered in one and a third innings. Brent Suter, two runs surrendered in a third of an inning. He shot. Jake Bird, three runs surrendered in a third of an inning. He shot. And Gavin Allwell, he was able to get it out of the bullpen. So that was good for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They get a 4-2 to two win in 10 innings over the St. Louis Cardinals. For the Cardinals, Dakota Hudson actually a very good start. He allows just one run over the course of seven innings. Ryan Elsley, welcome back. His first appearance in an eon. Scoreless setting. But then from there, Jojo Romero gives up three runs, two of which were earned in one and two-thirds innings before Drew Verhagen gets it out, out of the bullpen. As for this game, it was 1-1 one to one going into the 10th inning. As for Pittsburgh, Mitch Keller was on his game. Gives up a home run over the course of six innings. Wilson Contreras was able to get a 16th home run season from there. Squirrel settings out of Carmen Moldazinski, Connor Holderman, along with Colin Selby, and then David Benar gives up the unearned run in the 10th inning as the Pirates are able to pull it out going 3 of 9 with men in scoring position. Also being able to pull out a win, the New York Yankees. All of a sudden, they've been able to win four out of their last five. Six to the final end. Very good note here. For the New York Yankees in his first career at bat, hopefully I'm saying this correctly, 
Jason Dominguez was able to get a home run off of Justin Verlander. How about that for your first career at bat? And Verlander was not done giving up bombs. EJ turned it up LeMayu, 14th home run season. Aaron Judge is 30th. And John Carlos Stan is 21st for Verlander. He gets bombed, giving up six runs in six innings. So Yankees team has been awful on offense. Phil Maton, Ryan standing along Joel Kuno, all on the scoreless setting, but damage had been done as Jose Abreu. He gets his 12th home run season off of Carlos Rodan, who looked a little bit better in this one. Just four strikeouts in five innings, but gives up that home run. Two runs in total over the course of five innings. Meanwhile, Randy Vasquez, two scoreless innings, and Wandy Peralta and Jonathan Loisega. They piecemeal together two scoreless innings of their own, and then for the Royals. They entered with a record of 3-22, and and Jordan Lyle starts. Make that 4-22. and 13-2, they completely bombard the Boston Red Sox. As for James Paxson, he was not long for this game. He got four outs and he gave up six runs, all of which were earned, including a pair of home runs. Salvador Perez, 20th home run of the season. And then you had Bobby Wood Jr. get his 28th. A little bit later on, you would have Perez get his 21st home run of the campaign. And Nelson Vasquez was able to get his 9th home run season. Those both come off of Brandon Walter. He goes four innings and he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned. As Joe Jacquez was able to turn two scoreless innings of Mauricio Levera. Fair of outside the bullpen. Main form of offense for Boston, Alex Verdugo. 13th home run season as Jordan Lyles goes eight innings, giving up that home run two runs in total before you were able to get a scoreless inning out of Stephen Cruz, who lowered his ERA to a 21-60. And when you're lowering your ERA to a 21-60, you know that things are not necessarily going well. The Minnesota Twins, things are going halfway okay for them as the Texas Rangers are continuing to drown in piss. They have lost eight out of their last 10 games, and the Twins get it done by a count of 5-1. to one. For Joe Ryan, he gives up a home run over the course of six innings. Corey Seager was able to get his 26th of the campaign from there. Juan Doran, along with Caleb Theobar, Griffin Jacks, they get Jacks up for scoreless innings. Meanwhile, Brock Burke had himself a night, giving up a home run to Jordan Luplo. His second home run season, Christian Vasquez, his fifth a little bit earlier on. You'd have Josh Saboris give up home run number 11 of the campaign to Ore Palanco as Max Scherzer has to feel let down by his bullpen. Six scoreless innings. He pitched really well, and then Brock Burke gives up those two home runs. Three runs in total over the course of an inning. Saboris, he gives up two runs over the course of an inning, including one of those home runs before Glenn Otto comes in, and he was able to turn a scoreless inning of his own for the Detroit Tigers. They're able to get a 4-2 win over a Chicago White Sox team that you want to talk about a sinking ship. My goodness gracious. Ever since the All-Star break, this team has not been able to do anything whatsoever. As looking at post-All-Star break records, they're 15-28. and 28. That is tied with the Colorado Rockies, the Miami Marlins, and the Oakland A's for the worst mark in the big leagues in that time span. As... For Detroit, Eduardo Rodriguez shut him down. Six and two-thirds innings. He allows one run. Bo Brisky, he gets a pair of outs, allows a run. And then Wilves goes for a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Squirrels, Alex Lang. Squirrels signing to be able to turn the save. And for the White Sox, Tuki Toussaint. He actually did an okay job giving up just two walks. Gives up three runs over the course of five and a third innings. Luke Ramsey from there, one and third inning scoreless. Sammy Peralta, pair of outs out of the bullpen scoreless. And Brian Shaw, one and two thirds inning scoreless. But the Tigers, they're able to get it done. They get that cash on the money line. And I was mentioning the Miami Marlins, how bad they've been post all star break. Well, in 11 innings, they did get the job done on Friday, 8 to 5, the final for the Marlins. Erie Perez, not what he was hoping for. Three solo home runs surrendered in four and two-thirds innings as Lee Thomas gets home run number 21 of the season. C.J. Abrams is 15th. And how about number one for Travis Blankenhorn? 
From there, the Miami Marlins were blank in the Washington Nationals. Stephen Okert and out of the bullpen, George Soriano, two squirrels saying Brian Hoying, a squirrel saying David Robertson, squirrel saying and then Tanner Scott lost two unearned runs in extra innings. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, Garrett Hampson in the 11th inning was hero. His second home run of the season, that comes off of Mason Thompson, who allows that run in inning number 11 after Robert Garcia. He goes for a third of an inning, giving up three runs, two of which were earned. Jake Irvin gave up three runs over the course of five innings and up a double extra innings. Bullpen was doing a solid job. Hunter Harvey, Jordan Weems, Jose Farrar, a squirrel saying, and two squirrel sayings out of Kyle Finnegan as well. And if you are taking a look at the great game of baseball right now, unders are still holding a little bit of a lead for the season. If you're taking a look at the season today, 982 unders to 762 overs. That is a 50.5% hit rate to the under. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at favorites, they're getting at darn near 58%. 1,163 and 845 is their record straight up. But among these favorites, 292 have failed to cover the run line over the last 30 days. We have seen things get a tad bit more overwhelming. 194 overs to 192 unders. So about a 50.3% hit rate to the over favorites in the science span. And they had just... 57%, 225, and 170 straight up. But among these favorites, all but 49 have been able to cover the run line. And over the last seven days, we've seen things be very up and down based on the day. And right now we are seeing overs coming through, 45 overs to 44 unders. Along the way, we have gotten five pushes. And for favorites, 55 and 39 straight up. And among these favorites, all but 10 have been able to cover the run line. So that's what we're seeing in baseball right now. And that's what we got late Thursday into Friday. Coming up next, how about if we take a look at what has been going right for the Philadelphia Phillies, their series with the Brewers, and the National League playoff picture with John Jansen of Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler. That's up next right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. 
If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And it is great to be joined by this man as John Jansen. He does tremendous work over at Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler, taking a look at this great game of baseball that we all know and love. I know that you know, it's hard at work taking a look at so many things as the Philadelphia Eagles season gets started in a week. He is diving in there. I know that Villanova football. Not to be confused with Villanova basketball, obviously the basketball team, and a little bit more esteem than the football team. I'm sorry to the Villanova football team, but that said, I know that he's doing a great job on that front as well. He does a great job with college football, NFL, NBA, MOB, and you're able to follow him on Twitter at Jay Jansen and the number 34, actually, 
I lied. That is not on Twitter. That is on X, the yeah. artist formerly known as Twitter. And John, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I think this is the first time I'm on the podcast since I actually got to meet you in person out in Vegas. It was very brief. And I think I scared you because you weren't expecting me to be there. But it was great to see you and great to see you in person. Now great to talk some baseball with you. And interesting for us, we have a great Phillies-Milwaukee series this weekend. Yes, we do. And this is one where we are doing this as the first game of the series is going on. That was one where I thought the Brewers had a little bit of an upper hand with Freddie Peralta. I certainly think that game two is going to be the reversal. We're going to have Aaron Nola going up against Colin Ray. It's been a little bit since Colin Ray has taken the bump for the Brewers. And as we're doing this, there's no lineup just because it was unclear as to whether or not the Brewers were going to be going with Colin Ray or someone else. But what are your expectations not just for for the Saturday game, but moving forward for the Philadelphia Phillies, because I do think that they've got an interesting month of September schedule that does have their sort of twists and turns, I think is the best way of putting it. Yeah, they do. It's going to be up to Rob Thompson, I think, to really manage the bullpen, because that's been their strength all season, and in August it wasn't. And really it was because Craig Kimbrell has been pitching a lot this season. He's going to probably eclipse the most innings he's pitched in a season, or he's going to get at least very close. I think he pitched 69 innings with the Red Sox, I want to say in 2017, he already has 57. He's going to get over 60, which is more than last year. So this is a lot of pitching for Craig Kimbrell. Look, all the numbers still look great with Kimbrell. So I'm not concerned that, you know, this was regression coming for him. I just think he had to pitch a lot and in big situations over and over again because the Phillies didn't have their top arms with Alvarado and Dominguez. So that's what's going to be interesting in September. Now they get Ranger Suarez back. That probably means they're going to put at least one guy in the starting rotation into the bullpen and help out with the bullpen, which means they have somebody to help out with Kimbrel. And you're right. It's such an up and down schedule. You are going to have stretches here against teams that you should beat, hopefully pretty easily, and you won't have to pitch Kimbrel a lot in the month of September. I think that's really the big thing for the Phillies. We've seen that with Walker. We've seen it now with Suarez coming back from injury. He just got put back on the roster and off of the IL with an injury. It's just getting healthy, getting fresh, making sure guys are fresh going into the postseason. And I think the Phillies, it's a weird thing to say because I don't know how many times I could have actually said this before. I couldn't have said it last year either in the, in the World Series team, but they have depth in pitching. And now the guys are back. I think it's going to help somebody like Kimbrel get fresh and ready for the postseason. Yep, I absolutely do think that that is going to be able to help them out as well. And getting back Jose Alvarado, that is massive as well. That guy has been supplying a sub-2 ERA thus far this season. And joining me on the show, yes, it is. We've got John Jansen. He does absolutely tremendous work over at Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler. And when it comes to Philadelphia Phillies, one thing that has really stuck out to me as well has been the play of Christopher Sanchez. Obviously not a guy that we are going to be seeing on Saturday, but how big has him being that number four, number five starter been for the team? Because even while Rangers Suarez was out of the fold, that he's expected to return on Sunday. We shall see if he does or not. But right now he is slated for that Sunday start. They were able to maintain because Christopher Sanchez has been that steady Eddie guy that I'm not sure a lot of people saw coming. Not at all. And then also Dabrowski, a stroke of genius, ends up getting Lorenzen for almost nothing. I'm pretty sure they spent more to get Noah Syndergaard last year than they did Michael Lorenzen this year. They did year. trade Andrew Vasquez, who ever since going to the Tigers went straight down the toilet bowl because he was actually good with the Phillies. And <laughs> he was. Ever since he, was. he got traded, not so good. Yeah. 
he was doing well. And now Michael Lorenzen for them has been awesome. So yeah, you're right. Sanchez and, and Lorenzen have been the X factors. Depth was a problem last year. Now, when they got into the postseason, you know, they had three top guys in Suarez, Nolan, Wheeler. So that was good enough. But just for this season to maintain this level of play for, you know, an entire 162 game season, they've had injuries. They had Wheeler and Nola struggling for times this year. And Sanchez and Lorenzen and some of the other guys in the back end of the rotation, especially Tomlin Walker too, they held it down. And so that was that was the X factor for me this season. Starting pitching, I didn't think had depth. They just had the top guys and you know you could rely on them in postseason, but I didn't know what that was going to be like for a full year if that could hold up. They went through all of it. They went through injuries, they went through bad play, and they still came out looking very good with the starting rotation. So yeah, Sanchez is going to be interesting to see how they utilize and what's exciting going into the postseason for the Phillies is that you can use in multiple ways Christopher Sanchez, Michael Lorenzen. They even used Ranger Suarez all over the place last year. And he was, I think, they're probably the, the best player for the Phillies, at least best pitcher for the Phillies, because he was coming out of the starting rotation. He was coming out of the bullpen and giving big innings. And now they have a few of those guys that can do the exact same thing. Look, I don't know how many times they're going to want to go to Christopher Sanchez or to go to Lorenzen, but they're going to have to at times go to those guys. And so far, those guys have delivered. So yeah, it's it's been sort of this crazy X factor, just something that I wasn't expecting from the Phillies that ended up being a huge strength, which was the back of their starting rotation. Yep, it certainly has been. As shown to me on the show, we do have John Jansen of Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler as well. And we also have to touch upon this as well. Since August 3rd, going into what we were seeing Friday night, this stood out to me. The Philadelphia Phillies have been averaging 6.6 runs per contest. And I don't recall the exact date that it happened, but I'm sure that you remember this as well as I do. The very random standing ovation that Trey Turner yes. got, which at the time I'm just like, what the heck is going on? And ever since then, Trey Turner has been like right there with Mookie Betts for best hitter in the National League. I have no idea how. I have no idea why, but he and Bryce Harper have really picked it up. And has there anything that you've been noticing that has led to this turnaround? Because Bryce Harper had three home runs in his first 58 games of the season. And going to yesterday, I believe he had 10 and I think it was like 38 or 39 games. Those two guys have really been able to pick it up. Yeah, and the home run surge for Bryce, they needed those power numbers, and he just, I guess, needed to get healthy. I mean, he came back quickly from that elbow injury, so it was probably going to take some time for him to get fully back to 100%. We are in the betting game, and we always have numbers, data, analysis to back things up. I don't have any analysis on the Trey Turner thing other than the synergy between this club, these players, and the fans. I've heard this a lot, and I know for me it feels this way. I've never seen anything like it before. For with the Phillies. There have been some very good players and players that, you know, like Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, and Jimmy Rollins, and Shane Victorino, Jason Worth, that all were endearing to the fans, but not like this. This is a very different level. I don't know if any of those players would have gotten a standing ovation like they did now, and it's pretty incredible to see, you know, what that's done. I don't even know if it's helped, but it's just a great story, and I think really helps the clubhouse. But we're seeing right now, it's kind of amazing National League race between Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna Jr., and it's flipping back and forth. While that MVP race is happening, what's happening for the Phillies is they're getting their MVPs playing to that level. You know, obviously, Mookie Betts and Ronald Acuna Jr. are playing out of this world, but Bryce Harper's playing like an MVP again. Trey Turner's playing like an MVP again. Now, I wasn't sure if we were going to see that type of production from those two, but sort of this quiet story as this National League MVP race is happening is the Phillies have their two MVPs that are supposed to help them compete with those lineups and those two players if they were to face them in the postseason. 
and it's there. So that's what's going to be interesting in September. If that level of performance can stay, I think really for Trey Turner more than anything. But I've been saying this for a week or so now with Bryce Harper. This is the same Bryce Harper. This is the level of production that they were getting from Bryce Harper when he carried them into the World Series. We can say all these things about the Phillies, who was playing well, who wasn't, all that stuff in the postseason of what got to the World Series. But it was almost entirely, I can put 95% of that World Series run on the shoulder of Bryce Harper because he came up with clutch hits. Uh, He came up with big home runs. He was the best player in baseball in the postseason, and that's why they were in the World Series. He looks like that player again. And if you look at some of his numbers, obviously the accumulated numbers aren't close because he didn't play a lot. But OPS, average, all those other things, run created plus, they are back to being like the top 10 in the National League and in baseball again. So Harper's back. I mean, MVP Harper's back, and I think that's one of the biggest stories in baseball because he was playing well, but not like this. And if Bryce Harper is MVP level again, well, there you go. That's your that's your counter to obviously Ronald Cunha Jr. and Mookie Betts are having better seasons, and right now I would consider them better players this year. But Harper can compete on that level with those guys, and we've seen that. And that's, I think, for the Phillies, got to be the most exciting thing for them is they have two MVP caliber players, and they're finally starting to play like it. Oh, they certainly are starting to step up and just at the right time as well as we know with regards to the NL wildcard race would be very surprising to see the Phillies be anything other than a wildcard team. And I think it would honestly be quite surprising if they're anywhere other than the number one wildcard spot because the yeah. Atlanta Braves have a hundred million million game lead in the <laughs> NL East. I mean, I'm sure that we can all get I think you're shortchanging them there. I think it might be more than that. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. And over. then with the Miami Marlins, the Giants, the Diamondbacks, all the other teams in the wild card, they've all fallen off to the Philadelphia. Except for the Cubs. How about the Cubbies? That's been I don't know a surprise because I, I in coming into the season thought they were going to make the playoffs. They were one of my teams that I kind of kept on my radar of one that could surprise this year. And so shouldn't be surprising too much for me, but with the way the season started and who's really leading the way for Chicago, that's that's surprising to me. And so I don't know. I don't know if I should be worried with the Phillies potentially taking on the Cubs, but I do know, Greg, that game one matchup, if it was Phillies-Cubs, Justin Steele would scare the absolute out of me in game one. That's all I know. Yep, and I do think that that's interesting to dive in on as well because with regards to the NL wildcard, how do you see things shaking up really for that final spot right now? Because I do think that the Phillies and the Cubs, they should be able to get there, and if it's not the Cubs, it'll be the Brewers because one of those teams, in my opinion, is going to be the wildcard. The other team is going to win the NL Central. But how do you foresee that final spot with the Diamondbacks entering into Friday, one game back of the Giants, the Reds two games back because – I just take a look at those three teams and I have a little bit more faith in the Giants just because of the overall pitching. Yeah, and pitching was obviously going through their issues, especially the bullpen, and Gabe Kapler was trying to work through that, but he just seems to do it. I know those in Philadelphia aren't big Kapler fans, but I think the guy has done excellent with bullpens, especially San Francisco, that is more open to do some of the things that he's trying, openers and and using the full arsenal of his bullpen. So now that that's getting better, it seems like at least better than what it was at least early in August, uh, I think San Francisco should be getting that final wild card spot with Arizona. They're running out of gas, especially offensively to me, but Cincinnati, it's just was always going to be pitching. They never had it. And that's probably going to prevent them from getting into the playoffs this year, but obviously next year when they have the chance, 
to kind of fix that starting rotation and get some more arms in that bullpen. They should be great. But yeah, I think you kind of have your three right now for the wild card. I think it is the Phillies. They're probably going to end up facing the Cubs. The Cubs or Brewers, obviously, as you just mentioned, with the central race still kind of close. And then San Francisco. Arizona could try and sneak their way in there, but you know they're on a three-game losing streak. They've been struggling a lot of times in the second half of the season. I just don't see the Diamondbacks, Reds, or Marlins kind of making that push. It just seems like they're they're slowly running out of steam. Now, good for them. San Francisco looked like that at some point, but I think San Francisco at least has sort of the arms to remedy some of the problems that they've had. Yep, that they certainly do. As joining me on the show, we've got John Jansen, who does great work over at Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler. And well, my friend, we take a look at the board that we've got for Saturday. Nearly half the games are off the board. They really did not do Lovely. us a lot of favors here. But <laughs> that said, I do find it interesting because we were talking about that NL wildcard hunt. And this is a big series for the Arizona, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Slade Sassoni is going to be getting the start against Kyle Bradish of Baltimore. Baltimore currently holds that best record in the American League. And they're right around a minus 135 favorite the total of nine. How do you see this game and really the trajectory of both of these teams moving forward? Because while the Orioles have the best record in the American League, I think that they're still fighting an uphill battle if they do want to be that representative in the American League of the World Series, especially now that they have suffered that injury to Felix Batista. Yeah, that's huge. That is very huge. And, uh, you know, they have the lineup to carry them, but it's a young lineup, though. You know, Baltimore, as long as Angelos doesn't mess that up, and, like, fingers crossed because it's been really cool to see Baltimore fans enjoying a great baseball team, and it just would suck if they're not able to keep that around. But, you know, they are, for the future, I think, set up very well. They can compete in the American League this year. But yeah, losing Bautista is huge. But I do like them in this game. Arizona's offense is just kind of leaking oil. I don't think the top bullpen issues with Bautista out is going to take too much effect in this game. Bradish has been great and whip of 1.11. The pitcher for Arizona, Ciccone, he's been great, but obviously just a small 21 inning sample size. Bradish has been fantastic all season, 3.03 ERA. The lineup's still hitting very well for Baltimore, and they'll have a chance here, I think, even against a guy that's been pitching pretty well to start the season, or at least for his season. I think Baltimore should be fine here, especially against an Arizona offense that seems to be struggling a little bit. Yeah, the offense has been struggling a little bit, to your point, and like I mentioned, it is a little bit of a strange card for Saturday as of right now, yeah. a few TBDs, but <laughs> is there anything that is standing out to you, whether it's a game that you're just going to kick back, you're going to watch and have a good time being able to take in, or is there a bet that you are vying up for Saturday? Well, yeah, there are a few good series to take in. We do want to mention the Phillies and Brewers being maybe the best series, one of the best series of the weekend. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Also, we still get the Braves and Dodgers tomorrow, so that's going to be a good game as well. I have my eyes on, it's kind of weird to say this, Greg, I have my eyes on Dallas Keuchel. What (laughs) is happening so far? In his last two starts, he has 11 and a third innings pitched, only six hits allowed. Greg, no runs, no runs. Now his whip is through the roof. It's 1.44. So I don't know what to make of Minnesota. I don't know what to make of Dallas Keuchel. Do we give Dallas Keuchel a shot as a big underdog against Jordan Montgomery? He's been pitching very well. I don't know if I can get there, but 
the regression is going to come for Keuchel, but why not maybe take advantage of it while you can, while the regression just isn't hitting him yet. Again, maybe not for me, but you know, at this time of the year, especially you know, once you get to Labor Day weekend in September, dogs are where I'm looking. You're going to see the weird results. You're going to see some weird pitching matchups. It seems like the Phillies, I think, trying to not use all of the elite arms in their bullpen. It's going to lead to some wacky results. So why not maybe Dallas Keuchel, a big plus money line? It's just absolutely hilarious to take a look at that. And I will say it's for Keiko, those last two appearances, one that was actually a super long relief appearance as well. They had him like piggybacking off of Bailey Ober or something like yes, that. That was a yes, random right. like 14 or 15 inning game. So it has been wild to take a look at Dallas Keiko. It's been wild to take a look at baseball in general. And yet somehow, some way in a game that doesn't make sense, you are still able to generate great analysis and you're able to do such a good job of breaking it down, John. Let the good people know know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter or X at jjansen34. You'll see a lot of my stuff there. But also, we're going the YouTube channel at Fox Sports The Gambler and we're going heavy on the video side because it's just been great for us and I think it's stepped our game up. So, Fox Sports The Gambler on YouTube. You can also follow us at FoxPHLGambler on Twitter, FoxPHLGambler.com. And again, we're getting you ready for the football season, college football, NFL, Fox Sports The Gambler. You can just search it up on the iHeartRadio app if you're not in Philadelphia. Just search up Fox Sports The Gambler. And then also 102.5 FM, 1480 AM, if you do happen to be in the lovely city of Philadelphia. And it is a lovely city and a man that does a great job of being able to break down so much is John Jansen. It is always a pleasure to be able to get him aboard, and I know he is hard at work taking a look at all things happening out there in the Philadelphia area. Big thanks to John for joining me on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this baseball Saturday as we touch them all. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. 
and I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, 
the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Hey, we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It's always great to get John Jansen aboard. He does great work over at Fox Sports Philadelphia, the gambler, taking a look at this great game of baseball that we all know and love every single time he joins this podcast. One's tremendous insights as it's going to be a very wild playoff race moving forward. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this baseball Saturday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNNRS41, and there's a little bit of a higher likelihood today of changes than most days because darn near half these games are off the board, but... With that said, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, any interleague games. Those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So, without further ado, let's dive in on this first game of 951-952. On the betting board, the Miami Marlins at the road phase off against the Washington Nationals as Trevor Williams goes for the Nats, and it is to be determined on the bump for the Marlins. So, this game is off the board. I was seeing earlier reports that one Johnny Cueto was lined up for this one. If it is Cueto against Williams, set the Marlins at a minus 126 with a total to wear a 9 or less. I'm going to be taking a look at the over a 9.5 prior to the under. This probably gets upgraded a little bit if you maybe trot out there George Soriano. A little bit of a downgrade if it's Ryan Weathers, which I just don't trust in Ryan Weathers. If you get something else, it's a little bit of a hodgepodge, but... When it comes to Trevor Williams, because this is the confirmed piece in this pitching matchup, it's been a little bit of a rough year for him as he's got a 482 ERA, but honestly, the fielding independent is even worse. He's not doing the world's greatest job with regards to his command in the neighborhood about three walks per nine innings. He doesn't get a lot of strikeouts with just under seven strikeouts per nine innings and flying two home runs per nine innings. Yeah, typically don't find a guy with a 482 ERA with a fielding independent darn near a point higher end. For Williams, he has given up five plus runs and three out of his last five starts. My last two starts have been pretty stellar, but I've got my question marks there. And with the Washington Nationals, they do supply a pretty good offense behind them as they aren't going yard with regards to this offense, but at the same time, they've done a very good job of being able to just move the line with the likes of Joey Manessis being able to hit about a 285 along with Lane Thomas. And Thomas has been able to give you 20-plus home runs as far as the season. We've seen Kiber Ruiz do a solid job going yard as well. He, C.J. Abrams, in that neighborhood about 15-16 to 16 home runs. Now it's all about having someone like uh, Travis Blakenhorn, who they just picked up, being able to supply towards the bottom of the full Carter Keyboom has been able to give you some nice production to help out the likes of Tom Smith and company that have been in that pocket about a 255 to 265 and for the Miami Marlins, they actually hit for some good average. Now, Luis Arise, 
He was sitting about at 236 in the month of August. I do think that here in the month of September, going to be a little bit better. He's coming off of a multi-hit game that we did see on Friday. But you take a look at the middle of the fold, and it's a lot of guys that they do an okay job getting on base. Yoli Gurriel, Brian De La Cruz, Jesus Sanchez, in between about a 255 to 265. And they did pick up Josh Bell, Jake Berger, a pair of guys that will be able to do a good job supplying 19-plus home runs this far this season, but they just have been unable to get that production from the bottom guys like Jacob Sullings along with Joey Wendell and company, and it feels like whenever they've got the top guys going, the bottom guys own it, and vice versa. It's just really been Murphy's Law, and for the Miami Marlins, they tried to upgrade this bullpen at the deadline, and just as it worked out, David Robertson, nearly an 80 RA since coming over for the Miami Marlins. Jeff Hartley is not a guy that you're able to trust in. Honestly, I like what Steve Nokert, Andrew Nardi, and Tanner Scott have going on. Sub 3-3 ERAs out of all those guys. And for the Washington Nationals, it's been survival of the fittest with regards to the bullpen as they've had a DFA, quite a few guys, and they've mixed and match, but they do have a nice trio. And Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finnegan, Jordan Weems have been able to give you a sub 3-4 ERA to get out of the fold, guys like Amos Willingham and company. So, a very interesting circumstance. I do think that the Marlins should be a favorite, even if it is Johnny Cueto. It's quite long in the tooth and not a guy that gets a lot of strikeouts anymore, but if it is Williams versus Cueto, nine or less, looking at the over nine and a half higher to the under, perhaps we go to a nine and a half or higher if it's Ryan Weathers. And with Cueto versus Williams, we need at least plus 127 to take a shot on the Nationals, minus 127 or better looking at Miami. 953, 954 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs hit the road face off against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on the Cincinnati and they're on an end drive at getting the start for them. And Javier Assad is on the bump for the Cubs. 9.5 to 10 is the total on the 9.5. Over is any between minus 110 to a minus 115. Unders between minus 105 to a minus 110 on the 10. Unders minus 112 and the over is minus 108. And near pick them. Both teams are right around about a minus 110 at all the books that I am seeing. And I did set the Reds at a minus 137. I think we are going to see Javier Assad Come back to earth just a little bit. It's been a great run for him ever since they elevated him to becoming a starter. But this is just not sustainable what Javier Assad is doing. 6.8 strikeouts to 3.6 walks per nine innings. A ERA of a 296 with a fielding and a pennant that is a 4-4-4. That really does have me concerned. And you got to give Assad a lot of credit because he was someone that he was a long reliever towards the beginning part of the season. He's sort of what Ranger Suarez was a few seasons ago with the Philadelphia Phillies. Doing a good job being a two to three inning guy. They elevate him into the starting role. And in the starting role, he's able to really lift up the team as in six starts, 281 ERA in those starts. He's been getting right around six half strikeouts per nine innings. Once again, he's still giving up a little bit north of three walks per nine innings. Has been quite fortunate on balls in play. So I do think that this is going to be coming back to earth a little bit. And Andrew Abbott has been doing for quite a bit of regression as well. I'm not going to just completely gloss over that as well. As for Andrew Abbott, he does a little bit of a better job of being able to get some strikeouts. He's been able to generate for the Cincinnati Reds right in the pocket of about 10 strikeouts per nine innings. But he gives up three and a half walks per nine innings. 335 ERA, 394 fielding independent with at least three runs surrender. And now three out of his last Five starts now. Three runs are fewer in each of the last four, and a lot of those have been on the road. He's also won five and two-thirds innings or fewer in each out of his last five starts for a Reds bullpen that they were used quite a bit in the doubleheader yesterday. Now, with both of these teams, pretty comparable bullpens. Alexis Diaz is probably the best closer 
in this game, but I mean, when you've got the likes of Buck Farmer, Ian Gabo, Alex Young giving you a sub 3 5 ERA, and then for the Cubs, even with Michael Former out of the fold, they're pretty comparable as well. Julian Merriweather, Mark Leiter Jr., and then your closer in Javier Assad, they've been able to do a solid job as well. It lines up, and for the Cincinnati Reds, it's just about whether or not the guys that they picked up on waivers, which is very strange to say, are going to be able to pick it up. As Nick Martini has actually been a halfway decent find for the team, and then off of waivers, they were able to pick up a few guys that should be able to elevate, like a Harrison Bader, like a Hunter Renfro as well, because they've been dealing with injuries to the likes of Joey Vato, who's able to go deep for you. Matt McLean is now on the injured list. They've been dealing with having Jonathan India out of the fold. So it's been really all about Spencer Sierra and Jake Fraley, a pair of guys with 15 plus home runs, about a 345 to a 355 on base, being able to carry the offense because Elliot De La Cruz. He's just had a rough go of it recently. Makes a lot of highly real plays. Doesn't make the normal play as over the last 30 days, hitting below the Mendoza line of a 200. Meanwhile, for the Chicago Cubs, you just have a fearsome lineup that they don't give you a break. If you take a look at game two of that double dip, every single hitter in that lineup entered into the game with at least a 310 on base. Nobody with north of a 365 on base, but it's just one of those cases where the hole is greater than the sum of its parts, with Cody Ballinger being your main guy. He's up to 22 home runs thus far this season. Then pass that. Christopher Morell, Jamir Candelario, Dansby Swanson, Patrick Wisdom, all these guys giving you between about 18 to 21 home runs. They've been solid, and you just have so many guys that do a good job of being able to move line, but I do think that that regression is doing for Javier Asada, and I do think that Andrew Abbott going to be able to do a relatively solid job here. He's done a nice job holding down the fort when he has been in Cincinnati all season long, and I think that that is going to continue. So at the right side of minus 137, willing to lay their money line, so by total 9.2, so whether you've got a 9 and a half for 10, looking at the under, 955, 956 on the main board. The Philadelphia Phillies hit the road face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Colin Ray says hip hip array to another starter for us Milwaukee Brewers. We say hip hip boo to this one. Meanwhile, Aaron Nola is on the ball for the Phillies. This is a game that, as I do this, it is off the board. And I just set the Phillies as a favorite in this spot. With the Phillies, I've got them at a minus 121 to where a 9 or less. I'm looking at the over. 9.5 or higher to the under. So that means at a plus 122 or higher, looking at the Brewers, willing to lay up to a minus 120 with the Philadelphia Phillies. For Aaron Nola, I would set him as a bigger favorite, but he's always struggled in his career on the road as opposed to at home. For his career, he's got an ERA a point higher when he's on the road than when he is at home. 526 road ERA compared to a 317 home ERA this year. And Aaron Nola has been completely just tattooed by the deep ball this season. He's giving up about 1.6 home runs per nine innings. The strikeout numbers are still relatively solid for Nola. They have fallen off a little bit from past years, but he's still generating about nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings, giving up 2.2 walks per nine innings. It is about a tad bit unlucky. It's fielding independent more in the neighborhood of a 419, while ZRA is a 430. Meanwhile, for Colin Ray, this is going to be his first start on a big league mound since August 4th, so it's been about four weeks, and and he really hasn't been that good. 5'11 ERA compared to a 5'08 field independent, giving up 1.7 home runs per nine innings. And what does stand out to me about Ray as well is that he's much like many of these Milwaukee Brewers pitchers. He has actually been quite a bit better on the road than he has been at home. 453 road ERA, 568 home ERA, and at home, he's giving up more than two home runs per nine innings. Meanwhile, you do take a look at this Brewers lineup and all of a sudden, William Thomas has been able to give you a little bit of something. That is very big for this team as he has been able to hit for north of a 275 over the last three weeks. And then you do have likes of a Sal Free, like Andrew Marisario being able to step up 
being able to give you north of a 325 on base. Christian Yelich, William Contreras, combined 31 home runs, both hitting about a 280. That's big because they've been dealing with a lot of guys like Bryce Terang and company that just have not been able to move the line. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, you continue to have Kyle Schwarber being able to give you leadoff home runs. He did that once again yesterday for number 38. And as we were talking about with John Jansen, about the way that Bryce Harper and Trey Turner have been able to step up as well. For Bryce Harper, 10 home runs in the last 39 games after having three in his first 58. And for Trey Turner, he, over the last 30 days, entering into yesterday, has been able to give you nine home runs, seven of them coming in his last 14 games. He has been able to hit about a 340 over the last 30 days as well. So he's been able to up his game. And that's big because they've had guys like Alec Bohm, Bryson Starr, Brandon Marsh that have been able to move the line all season long. But having that power is big. And for the Brewers, I do give them a little bit of a leg up with regards to bullpen. Craig Kimbrell, he's been a little bit all over the place recently for the Philadelphia Phillies. So getting Jose Alvarado back in the fold with his sub-2 ERA, that is big. Jeff Hoffman has been someone that's been solid as well. But for the Brewers, you've got a big four. You've got Ebner Uribe, Joel Pions, Hobie Milner, Devin Williams, all being able to give you a sub-2-5 ERA for the Brewers. Number two with regards to bullpen ERA in the National League since the All-Star break. Meanwhile, the Phillies in that time span, they are number four. So, in circumstance where I'm going to be willing to lay up to a minus 120 with the Phillies, a plus 122 or higher looking at the crew, and then and a nine or less looking at the over nine and a half or higher to the under. 957, 958 on the betting board. You've got... The uh, Pittsburgh Pirates in the road to face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. It is going to be Drew Rahm who's going to be going for the Cardinals and his old doobie determined who's going to be on the bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is a game that's off the board, but I have projected as though we are going to be getting Bailey Falter going up against Mr. Rahm. And if we do get Falter, I think he's going to falter. As I said, Drew Rahm is a minus 168 favorite, which is absolutely ridiculous, by the way, but... That's just how bad Bailey Falter is. He only gives up about two walks per nine innings, but my goodness gracious, doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, and he certainly gives up the deep ball. We shall see what happens there, and if it does turn out to be like as Waldo Beto, maybe it's a little bit less. If it turns out to be a young guy like a Quinn Pricer was, might be a little bit worse, and for Drew Rom, I think he's going to be able to pick it up a little bit after his first two career starts as he gave up eight runs in those first two starts, giving up five walks per nine innings, but was he able to get 10 punch outs per nine innings? A lot of what we saw at the minor league level for him when he was over there with Memphis as he was giving up about four and a half walks per nine innings, but 11 strikeouts per nine, did a solid job not allowing the deep ball when he was at the minor league level, and it's been a small sample size for Rom. Got completely lit up in his first start, giving up six runs against the Pirates, and looked much more comfortable. Second time out, he was able to pitch five and two-thirds innings on the road against the Philadelphia Phillies, gave up two runs. That's a pretty presentable start, and for the St. Louis Cardinals, they've got a far better offense than the Pittsburgh Pirates with the Pirates. Henry Davis is now on the injured list for this team. You just have not been able to get really anything whatsoever out of a lot of these young guys that have come up to the big league level in terms of power as Andy Rodriguez has been hitting about a 235, but he doesn't really move the line. Lovar Piguero, about a 248 average, a sub 300 on base percentage. And just take a look at the lineup that the Pirates were throwing out there yesterday. Yeah, a lot of guys that just do not take you deep. Brian Reynolds, along Jack Swinitsky, the only two guys with north of 12 home runs this season. And Jack Swinitsky is in an almighty funk. You take a look at the last 35 days for Swinitsky. One home run with a sub-150 batting average. That's just not going to cut it. Reynolds has been able to about a 265 for the team. Along with Brian Ace, but these guys really don't draw a lot of walks along without having a lot of firepower. Meanwhile, the Nolans, Nolan Arenado, Nolan Gorman, to come in 50 home runs and drink it yesterday. 
for the Cardinals. Both of these guys giving you about a 325 on base. Has been a bit of touch and go with regards to the outfielders for the Cardinals. But for Jordan Walker, it's about 40 points higher at home rather than on the road. You need to get a little bit more out of that shortstop spot. Mason Wynn entered in yesterday with a 171 average at a 171 on base. But they get Lars Newpar off the injured list as well. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this bullpen has been a little bit all over the place. You've had Colin Holderman be a nice long relief guy. A guy that's able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA when Jose Hernandez has been out there. It's been a little bit touch and go for him as well for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It has been very much a rocky season with regards to the bullpen. But David Benar, he has been the rock for their bullpen. I actually do like what they've been able to do as well. But you do take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. And you don't really have anyone with a sub-3-5 bullpen ERA as Jojo Romero, along with Giovanni Gallegos, they've been able to do a relatively okay job, but when you've got the likes of Drew Verhagen, and Andre Pallanti, guys like this, it has been a little bit rough over the last three days. The Pirates are 18th in the league with regards to bullpen area. The St. Louis Cardinals, more around 21st, so, I mean, relative equals there. I just can't trust in the Pirates and whoever they throw out there as a starter. Probably not going to be a guy that I'm going to be wanting to be backing. I'm thinking that it's going to be Mr. Bailey Falter. Like I said, might be a little bit of an upgrade if it's someone like an Oswaldo Beto, but with Rom versus Falter, we'll be looking at a plus 120 or higher on the Cardinals run line. And semi-total quite high, nine and a half for less. Looking at the over 10 or higher to the under would need at least a plus 169 to back Mr. Falter. 959, 960 on the betting board. It is the San Francisco Giants. They're on the road facing off against the San Diego Padres. Blake Snell goes for the pods and you've got Mr. Kyle Harrison on the bump for the Giants. And the Giants find themselves as underdogs. You're going to be getting them between plus 140 and plus 163. And between minus 166 to uh, minus 178 is your number on the pods. It is the total. The under is between minus 110 to a minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 110. We're seeing the Padres a little bit lower on the money line a tad bit before. And if we could get to a plus 165, that would be my buy point on the Giants. Right now, the best number that I'm seeing is a plus 163. And if you are taking a look at the run line in this spot as well, the Padres laying around an half, that is at plus 120. And if we can get a little bit closer to plus 165, I would be willing to fire in on the San Francisco Giants, and I could see that happening by first pitch, as I do think that Blake Snell is doing for some regression. I mean, it's just so inevitable with the way that he has been giving out walks. And again, I've been seeing that for quite a while with our good friend and Mr. Blake Snell, but the fielding independent and the ERA, they just don't match up. 260 ERA, 373 fielding independent. It's 6.2 Hits per nine innings. That leads all qualifying National League starters, but it's 5.1 walks per nine innings. It's towards the top 10 as well, as it's just been absolutely maddening to take a look at this run for Blake Snell because we recall he had that really rough start to the season. First nine starts, he was actually posting up a 540 ERA. Ever since the last 18 starts, he has given up three runs or fewer in every one of them, two runs or fewer in all but one of them as well. Posting in this time span, a 138 ERA with a fielding independent that is a 296, giving up 0.5 home runs per nine innings, but also giving up darn near five walks per nine innings as well. So it has been absolutely insane. Meanwhile, for Kyle Harrison, if you took a look at him at the minor league level, this guy gets strikeouts. And he has done that through the first two starts of his career. as won a grand total of nine and two-thirds innings. Being able to supply 16 strikeouts. This guy is absolutely awesome. He was getting 
14 and a half strikeouts for nine innings at the minor league level. And he goes up against the San Diego Padres team that they've been one of the worst scoring teams at home all season long. And part of that is because they play at Petco Park. A very simple reason for that. And for the Padres, they have been able to upgrade that lineup a little bit towards the bottom of the fold. Being able to bring in some like Garrett Cooper does help. He's able to give you about a 260. And Luis Capusano has been nice for the team as well. About 100 at bats. He's hitting north of 290. That's much better than these schlubs like Rudet Odor, Matt Carpenter, Trent Grisham that have been getting at bats all season long. But we really have been seeing Fernando Tatis Jr. struggle post-All-Star break going into yesterday. Hitting about a 220 with about four to five home runs post-All-Star break. He has really cooled off. Juan Soto, Manny Machado, goodbye, 25 home runs as far this season. But both of these guys have had a little bit of a funk as well. Really the main constant. Second half of the season has been awesome, Kim. He's one of the best players with regards to war in all of baseball. About a 3.50 on base over the last 30 days, but even he has had his struggles. And you want to talk about struggles? The Giants, ever since the All Star break, have really not been able to hit. They've got the worst batting average post All Star break of any team in the big leagues at a 2.19 with a 2.94 on base. Not due to Wilmer Flores. Wilmer Flores, 11 home runs, sitting north of a 300 ever since the All-Star break. But you've got so many guys that you just need them to be able to step up as post-All-Star break. We've seen Patrick Bailey, Blake Sabo, your two catchers, coupled with Austin Slater, J.D. Davis, Lamonte Wade Jr., all hitting a 219 or lower. Not a single one of these guys has been able to give you north of a 300 on base. Four home runs or fewer out of everyone not named Wilmer Flores. So, has been an issue, but for the San Francisco Giants, they're also number one with regards to bullpen area since the beginning of the month of May, as you've been able to have both the Rodgers brothers, when he's been in the bullpen and not used as an opener, Scott Alexander, Ryan Walker, all these guys being able to supply a sub-3-5 ERA. The depth of pitching for the uh, Giants has been very good, and for the Padres, it's been a pretty mediocre bullpen. With Nick Martinez having his issues, Lewis Garcia had a horrible start to the season. He's been able to pick it up and recognize that Josh Hader blew a game a little bit earlier in the week, but all in all, he's been one of the best concerts for the team in all of baseball, but having the likes of Domingo Tapia and company being out of the fold, that has been very hurtful for the team. If you look at the Padres over the last 30 days, 16th in the league with regards to their bullpen area. We have seen the San Francisco Giants have their fumbles a little bit as well, but all in all, that is the one thing that has been able to hold up for them. They have been able to maintain this very good level of bullpen pitching, and I do think that for the San Francisco Giants, they are going to be able to be the beneficiaries of Blake Snell and all the walks that he's giving up in what I think is going to be very much a nip-and-tuck game. I said my told at some point, too, I'm going to be willing to take a look at the 8-under, and I'm thinking that I should be able to get it right around about a plus 165 or so by first pitch on the Giants, and that'll be my look with regards to the money line, but in a little bit of wait-and-see mode. There, 961-962 on the bang board. It is the Atlanta Braves on the road facing off against the LA Dodgers as Bryce Elder goes for the Braves, and it is old to be determined who is on the bump for the LA Dodgers. This game is presently off the board, and right now, I'm thinking it's either going to be Emmett Sheehan or Gavin Stone. I believe that Gavin Stone got sent back to the minor league level. This should probably be Emmett Sheehan and or a bullpen game. And assuming that's the case, I actually set the Dodgers as a slight favorite if you do get Sheehan as... I recognize that he's not necessarily the world's greatest strikeout guy or anything like that, but has had a modicum of success while he's been at the big league bubble. And more or less with this, this is a big giant fate of Bryce Elder. Bryce Elder is not as good as the numbers indicate. He's won 11 and 4, 350 ERA. Feeling independent is a 428. He's done a good job of inducing soft contact, giving up just under a home run per nine innings, but he's getting 6.4 strikeouts to 
right around three walks per nine innings. I've got massive question marks with him. Now, good news for him is that ever since the beginning of the month of May, the Braves, they have ranked number two in the big leagues with regards to bullpen here. Right, Rossi Iglesias is coming back in the fold and doing what he's doing. That has been tremendous. You've been able to have the likes of Kirby Yates, Michael Tonkin be able to give you a sub 335 ERA, but for Bryce Elder, he certainly has been regressing a little bit recently, a 488 ERA over the course of his last five starts, despite not giving up the deep ball. He's just been giving up a lot of general contact, and on the road, his ERA balloons by a full point, 302 a home ERA, 404 ERA on the road. And then for the LA Dodgers, post-All-Star break, this team is number one in the National League with regards to bullpen ERA. You've got a Big three, Broussard Gradrol, Caleb Ferguson, Evan Phillips have all been able to do a good job supplying a sub-3 ERA. Ryan Brazier, since he's come over from Boston, a sub-1 ERA. They should have some reinforcements coming as well as they've been dealing with a few banged-up bullpen pieces like Joe Kelly and company. And for the Dodgers, how about Mookie Betts in the month of August that he had going into yesterday in the last 30 days, hitting a 458 with 10 home runs. Just absolutely insane. And then past that, you still have Freddie Freeman who's sitting darn near a 340 with 25 home runs. Max Muncy has been able to pick it up as well because Max Muncy for much of the year has been hitting below the middle side of a 200, but at home, he's able to give you a 374 on base. He's averaging a home run every about 11 at-bats when he's at home. And over the last 15 days going to yesterday, Max Muncy hitting darn near a 300. So he's been able to pick it up as well. And you've got a Dodgers team as number one in the big leagues with regards to walks drawn on a per at-bat basis. And then you counter with an Atlanta Braves team with four separate guys giving you at least 30 home runs, five separate guys giving you at least 28 home runs. That's just absolutely mammoth. I recognize Matt Olson has been in a little bit of a funk recently, but even in his funk, his 112 RBI still north of 10 clear of anyone else in the big leagues. He's been able to do an incredible job all season. Last 15 days, not able to supply any deep ball power, but certainly that is going to be coming sooner rather than later. And then even the guys that aren't completely mashing for this team, they're still providing quite a bit, like Eddie Rosario has been able to give you 20 home runs. Michael Harris, Orlando Arcia, both hitting above 280, combined 29 home runs between the two of them. So you've got a pretty titanic flash here. This is a number where I set it very high, despite the fact that both of these bullpens have been rock solid. 10 or less, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 10 and a half higher to the under. If we get Sheehan, if we get like some sort of bullpen game for the Dodgers, I'm going to be placing them as a very slight favorite. One to lay up to a minus 111 there. With Elder, need at least a plus 113 to take a shot on that. 963, 964 on the betting board. It is the LA Angels, and they're on the road facing off against the Oakland A's. As Paul Blackburn walks the plank for the A's, and Griffin Canning is on the bump for the Angels. In F is a total, under is minus 120, the over is even. LA Angels are between minus 120 to minus 130. Favor between plus 110 to a plus 112 is your number on Oakland. I did set the Angels at a minus 125. I'm seeing right around minus 120 popping up, and I'm going to be willing to lay that number now. I recognize that the LA Angels waved like half their team about 48 or so hours ago, but Griffin Canning is not a bad pitcher. Is he any sort of a great pitcher? No, he's not, but he's been formidable. 7-4 record. He's been able to get 10 strikeouts to about 2.5 walks per 9 innings and has gotten the short end of the stick in a lot of his starts and recognize that he spent a little bit of time on the injured list as well, but two runs of fear surrendered in four out of his last five outings. He had one or two long relief appearances, but all in all, he's been able to do an okay job for this team. Now, the question that you've got with the LA Angels is, where are you going to be able to throw at the plate? Not named Shoy Otani. Shoy Otani entering into Friday, leading the league with regards to home runs. He's been 
Just absolutely incredible, hitting above a 300 even with all the ailments that he's been going through. You still have Randall Gritchick, who did not clear waivers, as he, Mickey Moniak, Mike Boussakis, may be able to give you 12 to 13 home runs, at least Ranifo, 14 home runs, that has really been able to pick it up over the last three or so weeks. But the big reason why, in my opinion, the LA Angels went straight down the tubes in the month of August, and I hate to be mean to the guy, but Mickey Moniak fell off the face of planet Earth. Over the last three days going into yesterday, Two home runs with a 207 on base percentage. When the LA Angels have been good, Mickey Moniak has been good. When the LA Angels have stunk, Mickey Moniak has stunk. And you've got Logan Hoppy back and full. That's helping out at the catcher spot. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, it seems to still cannot hit at home. It seems it's dead last in the big leagues with regards to runs per game, but it's demonstratively worse at home rather than on the road. Entering into yesterday with 3.26 runs per game at home. More like 3.9 runs per game on the road. Not to say that they're world beaters on the road, but clearly the home and road splits, they aren't necessarily so favorable. And this team just can't find a way to be able to get on base when they're at home. They're hitting a sub-222 when they're at home. You do have Ryan Noda who's been able to give you about a 360 on base all season long. But someone like a Brent Rooker who's been able to supply 22 home runs this season. Only seven of them have come at home now. Zach Eloff has been able to do a relatively solid job for the team as well. Hitting north of a 270 as well. But you do take a look at some of these guys like... Nick Allen, J.J. Blade, Shea Langoliers. You just go down the list of guys wearing a 220 or lower, and it drops considerably at home considering the team as collective is hitting a 212. And it's horrible. It's area Reeves that's been able to steal a lot of bases for you. But at the same time, we can talk about the Angels' struggles in the bullpen. The A's are still dead last in all baseball this season with regards to their bullpen. Here. It's Austin Pruitt. Has been able to give you some relatively nice innings all season long, but he is now out of the fold. You're looking to Spencer Penn for some innings. And Jimenez has had his flashes of greatness throughout his career, but this is a rough bullpen. And for the LA Angels, Matt Moore was one of the best bullpen pieces. He's now out of the fold. Carlos Aceves has been going down the toilet bowl, as a matter of fact, over the last three days. The LA Angels, a 662 bullpen area. I don't have a lot of faith in guys like Aaron Loop either, but I do think that Griffin Canning is going to be able to turn a good start, and I do think that Paul Blackburn does so as well. Paul Blackburn has been quite unlucky this year, as he's really been able to up the way that he's able to get his swings and misses, as overall for his career, he's been getting fewer than seven strikeouts per nine innings. This year, that's been closer to nine strikeouts at three walks per nine innings, keeping the ball in the yard, giving up about 0.7 home runs per nine innings, fielding a kind of a 344 compared to at 393 ERA and having given up two earned runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts and the A's are actually three and two in those last five starts. So this is a spot where at a minus 125 or less going to be taking a look at the Angels on the money line. So I told an 8.3 saw an 8.5 also going to be diving under. 965, 966 on the betting board. It is the Tampa Bay Rays and they're facing off against the Cleveland Guardians as Logan Allen goes for the Guardians and you've got Zach Little who hopes to come up big for the Tampa Bay Rays and the Rays are favorites of between minus 114 to a minus 125 even money to plus 112 is your number on Cleveland and the total on this game is 8.5. The over and the under are anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115. I was willing to lay up to a minus 120 with the Tampa Bay Rays. Zach Little has done a really good job of not getting out of control and keeping command. He has given up right around one walk for nine innings. Now, along with that, he's 
giving up some contact as for Mr. Little overall for the season. This includes his two appearances with the Boston Red Sox, 7.8 strikeouts per nine innings, but in a raised uniform, 420 ERA, 416 fielding independent. They were trotting him out there as a little bit of a long reliever towards the beginning part of the season, and we've seen the Rays do this quite a bit. They've done it with the likes of Andrew Rasmussen. They certainly did that with Jeffrey Springs, where they have these guys that really don't have a lot of starting experience become starters, and all of a sudden they find it little as a starter, and he's made nine starts in total, 392 ERA. He is giving up about 1.5 home runs per nine innings, but three walks in north of 41 innings as a starter. He has been able to do a nice job. Meanwhile, for Logan Allen, he has been very good for the Cleveland Guardians, and for the Guardians, the overall pitching has been more than fine for this team. It's been the offense has really been killing them for Allen. Does come in, having given up five runs at his last start on the road against the Toronto Blue Jays, but all in all, has been rock solid, though. He has been giving up a little bit more at home rather than on the road. At home, for Logan Allen, give it up about 1.3, 1.4 home runs per nine innings with a 3.70 ERA compared to a 3.51 ERA when he has been on the road for the Guardians. You know that this team is good to be able to supply a good bullpen. James Karinczak is back at the fold. Trevor Steven, Eli Morgan, Agnelli Los Santos, Emmanuel Classe. They make up a bullpen that is once again in the top seven in the big leagues with regards to ERA. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, right around 13th in the league with regards to bullpen ERA, even though they've had to do a lot of mixing and matching. So long as they can get five solid innings, you from there can get into the likes of Jason Adam, Colin Poucher, Pete Fairbanks, Jake Diekman, these guys that in a Tampa Bay Rays uniform, they've been able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, they've got just good overall power with regards to their lineup. Even with the Wander Franco situation, you still have seven different guys that will be able to give you at least 15 home runs. All but two of them have been able to hit for at least a 255 as well. Randy Rosarena has been a little bit up and down, but Yandy Diaz has been able to give you north of a 400 on base. You've gotten very good production out of Jose Siri with regards to about a home run every 11 to 12 or so at-bats. He's one of those guys that has not really been able to move the line a lot, but Isak Paredes, if you look at the advanced numbers, he's been a tad bit lucky, but north of 25 home runs, north of a 360 on base, and for the Cleveland Guardians, really a case where you need someone other than Jose Ramirez to step up. Ramirez has been the main guy for the team, north of 20 home runs. Your next two best home run hitters in Andre Semenes, along with Gabriel Arias, they don't match the same amount of home runs that Jose Ramirez has. They could really use Josh Chandler to come off the injury list right now, and the Guardians, they are dead last in the league with regards to home runs this season. Last season, they were second worst with regards to home runs, still made the playoffs, but that's because you had the likes of Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario, Oscar Gonzalez, Will Brandon, Stephen Kwan, all hitting at least a 270. The only guy entering the series still on the roster because Ahmed Rosario is now with the LA Dodgers, hitting above 258 with Stephen Kwan right around about a 270. So, you've got your issues on that front. I do think that Logan Allen is going to be able to turn a good start, but I think that Little is able to match that, and I just don't think that the Guardians are going to do enough to be able to get the job done, and I do think that Little, is he doing for a little bit of regression? Yes, but I do trust in this Rays lineup that all of a sudden they've been able to find it the last few weeks as well. I did something I told it an 8.7 with the way that Allen has struggled a little bit at home, so looking at the over, and willing to lay up to a minus 128 on the Tampa Bay Rays. 967, 968 on the main board. The Boston Red Sox are on the road, facing off against Kansas City Royals. Tanner out goes for the Sox. It is to be determined who is on the bump for the Royals, so this game is off the board. The question is, whether or not Alec Marsh is actually going to be the starter or if there's going to be an opener in for Alec Marsh. And if it is Mr. Marsh in some former capacity going up against Tanner Elk, made the Red Sox minus 153 on the money line, plus 105 or higher. I'd be looking at the run line at 9.5 or less. I'd be taking a look at the over at 10 or higher to the under. And I will give credit where credit is due. They have 
had Alec Marsh make a few starts, and he's come out of the bullpen a few times for an opener as well. In his last five total appearances, three runs or fewer allowed in every one of them, and six plus strikeouts in each of the last three. Now, a 669 fielding independent, very nice compared to a 547 ERA for Mr. Marsh, but you can tell that things have been a little bit better for him recently. He's given up 2.6 home runs per nine innings, has been able to mitigate that a little bit more, had some hiccups on the road against Oakland and Seattle, combined four home runs in those starts, but overall, four home runs surrendered over the course of his last four starts, so you can tell that it feels like he's starting to get a little bit more of a feel for the big league level. Meanwhile, for Tanner Alf, recently just came off the injury list. He has made two appearances since coming off Four runs surrendered over the course of nine innings going up against the Houston Astros and the LA Dodgers. No shame there. Those are two of the best offenses in all of baseball. But for Tanner Oak, it's always interesting to look at his splits because one year he's going to have an ERA that's like two points better at home rather than on the road. The next, it's going to be vice versa. This year he's been better on the road than he has been at home. 442 road ERA, 540 home ERA. Someone that legitimately has gotten the short end of the stick this year for Hauk. He's got a 493 ERA compared to a 448 fielding independent. Getting about 8.2 strikeouts, 3.3 walks per nine innings. Hasn't been great, hasn't been terrible. And then he's backed up by a bullpen that it's okay. It's not great. It's not terrible. Brandon Bernardino, Kenley Jansen, Josh Winkowski hovering in the neighborhood about a 250 to about a 350 with regards to their ERA. And Chris Martin has been absolutely tremendous for this team. Chris Martin, a sub 150 ERA. And that's much more than we, we could say for the Kansas City Royals since you've got the likes of Taylor Clark, Austin Cox, guys like this. Carlos Hernandez has a sub-5 ERA. I guess he's been okay, but man, it has been grody with regards to that bullpen. As the Royals posting up a 581 bullpen ERA over the last three days. Meanwhile, the Boston Red Sox, not like they have been necessarily super-duper sterling themselves as they have a 28th in the league with that regard as well. But for the Boston Red Sox, even though overall for the season, they've got splits of about 40 to 45 points worse with regards to their batting average on the road than it is at home. They have a much better post-all-star break now. They're dealing with an injury to Jaron Duran. He was doing a very good job moving the line, getting on base for the team. But you still have Tristan Costas. You still have Justin Turner down for what? Supplying north of 20 home runs for the team. And Adam Duvall, since he's come off the injured list, he has been incredible as well. He has been able to give you 13 home runs here in the second half of the season for the Boston Red Sox, Rafael Devers. He, since the All-Star break, is sitting at 275 overall for the season. 29 home runs as well. And the Red Sox actually do hit a few more home runs on the road than they do at home. Going up against the Royals bunch at they got off to a white-hot start post-All-Star break with regards to batting average. That has dropped a little bit. And this team is right there with the Chicago White Sox for dead last with regards to walks drawn on a per-at-bat basis. Now with the Royals, you've had Bobby Wood Jr. at 13 break, home runs since the All-Star break. He's been hitting well above a 300 and MJ Melendez, Michael Massey, they've been a little bit better, but they're still hitting about a sub-240 for the Royals. They really had that nice run with their offense in late July into like mid-August, but we have seen some regression come to the forefront there. They've been dealing with Salvador Perez being a little bit in and out of the fold now. Credit where credit is due. The Royals were really able to put a nice walloping up on James Paxson yesterday with Perez being able to return to the fold and Freddie Fermin being able to give about a 285 average. That's been big as well. So it is a very interesting ordeal here to say the least with a Red Sox team that is looking to Trevor Story and also Luis Ordias 
to be able to give you a little bit more in the infield with some of their injuries. So a spot where I saw my total to wear a 9.5 or less. I'm looking at the over 10 or higher to the under end with the Royals. Need at least a plus 154 to take a shot there with the Red Sox. Plus 105 or higher. One to lay minus 1.5 with them. 969-970 on the bang board. The Chicago White Sox. They play a slitted Detroit Tigers. Reese Olsen is on the bump for the Tigers. And Mike Levinger is on the bump for the White Sox. Between minus 109 to minus 110 is your number on the White Sox. Between even money and minus 110 is your number on Detroit. 8.5 is the total. Over is minus 120. And the under is even. And with the White Sox, set them at a minus 116. I'm going to be willing to take them on this rather pick them price with Mike Clevenger. The advanced numbers tell a little bit of a different story than the 332 ERA. He's been getting about 7.8 strikeouts per nine innings to about 3.5 walks per nine. 434 fielding, depending compared to a 332 ERA. But has actually been quite stellar since coming off the injured list. Three in runs or fewer in four out of his five starts in the month of August, and he's backed up by a bullpen. Let's call it what it is. It is not great. Gregory Santos has been able to give you sub-3-5 ERA, and Sammy Peralta is a little bit of a long guy. Has been able to do a good job, but when you're trotting out there, someone like an Aaron Bummer, who's been a bummer with north of a 6 ERA, Jimmy Lambert, clubs like this, it's not necessarily too great, and what has not been great has been Reese Olsen recently, giving up at least four runs in four out of his last six starts, but has been better than what those numbers would indicate. It's fielding independent. It's actually quite online with what Mike Clevenger has done. 408 fielding independent, 510 ERA for Olsen, getting about 9.7 strikeouts to three blocks per nine innings. What has been his kryptonite has been the deep ball, giving up about 1.4 home runs per nine innings, coming off of 10 strikeouts and giving up one run against the New York Yankees, but didn't lend a lot of length. He has went five innings or fewer in four out of his last five starts, and he's backed up by a bullpen that, I mean, once again, it's not necessarily the world's greatest. It's better than that of the Chicago White Sox. There's no doubt about that, but for the Tigers, 23rd in the league with regards to bullpen ERA over the last 30 days, you've had Alex Lang start to act up a little bit along with Jose Cicero's ERA has ballooned to darn near a 5. Tyler Holden, Jason Foley, giving you about a 3-5 ERA, and for the Chicago White Sox, Lack of discipline has been big for the team as they are between 29th and 30th in the big leagues with the guards walk strong on a prep basis, and that's a big reason why well, I have one guy with the worth of a 325 on base on this team, and that would be Ender Benintendi as he, Luis Robert, along with Eloy Jimenez, have been able to about a 272-280 with Robert 33-plus home runs this season, but you just expect Tim Anderson, Yoel Moncada to hit better than a 240. Lennon Sosa has been hitting below the Mendoza of 200, and all of a sudden they've been trotting out there Corey Lee at the catcher spot, and when he entered into the game yesterday, he was sitting below a 0.80. Not been great on that front. Meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, not to say that this offense has been tremendous. Second worst of the big leagues with regards to runs per game entering into yesterday, but you've had Riley Green, Kerry Carpenter, both be able to supply about a 3.50 on base with Carpenter and Spencer Torkelson. Both of these guys, 20-plus home runs this season. Parker Meadows has been able to give you a 3.90 on base, but it's been a very small sample size in the likes of Zach Shore, Jake Rogers, Javi Baez, Akil Badu. These guys getting a 230 or lower. Spencer Torkelson, you throw him in that fold as well. That has been rough for this team as well. So you've got a very interesting circumstance with a pair of bullpens that have been struggling, a pair of starters that it feels like they deserve opposite results, but both have a field independent in that neighborhood of four. 
made the White Sox a very slight favorite at a minus 116 because I believe that they've got a little bit more in their lineup. So going to be taking a look at the White Sox on this rather pick and price. And semi-total at an 8.9. So you're at an 8.5. We're going to have the over to go along with that money line. 971, 972 is the DK Network right pick as you've got the Yankees on the road facing off against the Houston Astros. Hunter Brown goes for the Strohs and Luis Severino is on the bump for the Yankees. And the Yankees are between plus 150 and plus 160 underdogs. Between minus 180 to a minus 190 is your number on Houston. Nine is the total. The under is minus 120 and the over is even. And the write-up here is going to be on the over. Now, I recognize that it's a little bit of a roll of the dice with the New York Yankees, a team that I'm fully aware since June 4th, they are scoring the fewest runs per game of any team at the big league level ever since Aaron Judge went down with that injury. But a big part of this is Luis Severino for the season. He owns a 6.64 ERA, a 6.04 fielding impediment, giving up 2.2 home runs and 3.5 walks per nine innings. But that ERA goes to an 8.06 on the road. For Severino, credit where credit is due. Last two starts, went six plus innings in both of them, was able to hold the Washington Nationals scoreless, and then in his last start as well, he was able to give a scoreless outing as well. But you do take a look at Severino, even with those two seller starts in 11 of his last 15 pitching appearances, because there's been a start or two where they've actually thrown an opener for him. He has given up at least three runs, and he has given up four plus runs in nine of those appearances. Meanwhile, Hunter Brown has had his issues at home. He's got a 386 fielding compared to a 447 ERA. He's deserved better results. 10.3 strikeouts to 2.9 walks per nine innings, but the crux of his issues have been the home starts. 547 ERA, despite giving up 0.7 runs per nine innings when he's been at home, compared to a 384 ERA while giving up 1.5 home runs per nine innings when he's been on the road, but feels like he just gets the jitters or something when he's at home because the command is off. At, on the road, he gives up about 2.2 walks per nine innings at home. That's been more like 4.1 walks per nine innings. So that's been a little bit of an issue. And with the New York Yankees overall for the season, they're number one in the big leagues with regards to their bullpen ERA. But if you look since August 5th, where the spiral just got even worse, they have ranked 13th in the league in that span with about a 404 ERA. Astros in this time span, they've ranked 9th. And for the Astros, you've got some perfectly fine bullpen pieces with this team as Hector Neris, along with Kendall Graveman, Ryan Presley, they'd be able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. Phil Maton has been acting up a little bit, but you can tell that guys like Ryan Stanek and company have not necessarily been the same this year, and they were certainly hoping for a little bit more than they got out of Justin Verlander yesterday. Meanwhile, for the Yankees, it does feel like some of these arms they're starting to get used up a little bit too much. You've been able to get really good results out of the likes of Clay Holmes, Ian Hamilton, Tommy Canely, all providing about a sub-335 ERA this season. But you can tell that recently they just haven't been as reliable as they were towards the start of the season. As If you take a look post-also break, Tommy Canely has north of a 5 ERA. Clay Holmes has north of a 6 ERA. Wani Peralta, about a 473 ERA. So this has been a big-time issue for the New York Yankees. And with the Yankees, even though the batting average has been deplorable since the beginning of the month of June, dead last in the big leagues, you do have some firepower with this lineup. As you still have John Carlos Sain, Anthony Volpe, along with Glaber Torres and Aaron Judge, all being able to give you at least 18 home runs. And then 
Isaiah Kinnar Falefa, DJ LeMay. Both thinking about a 245, they've been picking it up just a tad recently. And for the Houston Astros, since the beginning of the month of June, they're the number one scoring team in the big leagues in the month of August. In their last 11 games, signed of them, they put up five plus runs as you got Jordan Alvarez along Kyle Tucker, both hitting north of 290, with both with north of 22 plus home runs. Jose Altuve has provided about a 400 base, did leave the game early yesterday, so do want to be taking note there, but Alex Bregman, he's been able to provide north of a 375 on base over the last 35 days. Junior Diaz is up to about 19 home runs, so I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to get a little bit of offense going. Certainly, I do think that it's going to go a bit better for our good friend and Hunter Brown rather than Luis Severino. I would have needed north of a plus 215 to take a shot on the Yankees if you're looking at the run line of the Astros. That's between even money and plus 110. I was willing to lay up to a minus 113, so looking at the Astros on the run line and my DK network right to pick. Looking at the over semi-total, closer to where I would be even taking a look at a total over at a 9.5. Semi-total at 9.6. 973, 974 on the bang board. The Minnesota Twins hit the road face off against the Walker, Texas Rangers. Jordan Montgomery goes for the Rangers. Dallas Keuchel is on the bump for Minnesota. 9 is the total. The under is anywhere between minus 110 to a minus 120. The over is anywhere between even a minus 110 with Texas. They're between minus 185 to minus $2 favorites. Between plus 160 and plus 172 is your number, uh, Minnesota. I recognize that Dallas Keuchel has, was laid out by John Jansen has pitched north of 11 scoreless innings. One of those was a long relief appearance, and then the other one was against the Pittsburgh Pirates at home. And, well, the Pittsburgh Pirates they have not been so great. Now he has to go up against the Texas Rangers team. I recognize that they've had their fumbles recently, but this has been the number one offense with regards to runs per game at home this season. I set it to where I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 214 on the money line, and I'm willing to go up to a minus 115 on this Rangers run line, which I'm right now finding between even money to a plus 105. With the Rangers, even with Josh Young out of the fold, you just take a look at the amount of firepower that you're able to throw in this lineup. If they really want to, they could have all but one player hitting at least a 250 in that starting lineup with the guy hitting below a 250 being Adolis Garcia sitting more in the neighborhood like a 248 or something like that. It's been absolutely insane. You had Corey Seager go deep again. He continues to hit right around about a 350 and he's up to north of 25 home runs. Mitch Garver is another guy that's sitting at 270 with 15 plus home runs. You just go down the list and it's absolutely rampant. Ezekiel Duran, he's been able to give you a 330 on base. We've seen Leody Tavares have a few struggles recently, but all in all, this team provides just so much in the way of offense. And for the Minnesota Twins, they get Royce Lewis back in the fold. That is really going to be able to help them out in terms of their offense. But you take a look at their road batting average, and it's been just absolutely terrible. They're fourth worst in the big leagues with regards to road batting average, hitting about a 228 as a collective as you do have plenty of power in this lineup. Brian Buxton is back out of the full once again, but he, Max Kepler, Carlos Correa, Michael A. Taylor, Joey Gallo have all been able to give you at least 16 home runs thus far this season, but Gallo, Buck 75 batting average, and all these guys really, other than Max Kepler, they're hitting a 225 or lower with a sub 305 on base. Now, you do have likes of Donovan Solano, Edouard Julian, who have been able to give you north of a 370 on base. They've been able to help out a little bit. And I like what Matt Walner has been able to bring to the table as well. But for the Minnesota Twins, it's not like their bullpen is that much better than the Texas Rangers. Rangers have been in the bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to their bullpen ERA all season long. But you do have Brock Burke, Araldis Chapman, a pair of guys that I think are going to be able to do a relatively solid job. And then Will Smith, he's been acting up a little bit recently, but... 
Oh no, there are a few pieces that you're able to look to in this bullpen. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, you've had Yohan Duran be able to do a very good job closing out games, and Emilio Pagan has actually been halfway decent as well. There was a time where Jordan Balazovic was reliable for this team. That's not been the case recently. Griffin Jacks has been a little bit all over the place himself, so I do have some issues with regards to this Minnesota Twins bullpen as well, especially going up against the Texas Rangers team that's been so fierce. So, man, I do think that Jordan Montgomery is by far the better pitcher in this spot as well, and that's not necessarily going out there on a, a limb, but for Jordan Montgomery, he just does such a good job of really checking every box and being solid. He's not necessarily going to blow you away with a bunch of strikeouts or anything like that. He gets in the neighborhood about 8.2 strikeouts per 9 innings compared to 2.4 walks per 9 innings, giving up about 0.8 home runs per 9 innings as well. 319 ERA, about a 350 fielding independent. Pitches well at home, pitches well on the road. And then for Dallas Keuchel, he's looked a little bit better this year than he has last season, but he's been a little bit fortunate as well. Fielding independent of a 376 compared to a 350 ERA, and he's getting... Three strikeouts per nine innings. He has pitched 18 innings, and he's gotten six strikeouts. That's going to be an issue going up against the Texas Rangers team. I think that the Rangers pound the tar out of Dallas Keuchel as it's going to be a rude welcoming back to Texas for him. I'm going to be taking a look at the Rangers run line. So by total at 9.7, it's also looking at this total over 975, 976 on the main board. The Seattle Mariners are on the road facing off against the New York Metropolitan. Says Luis Castillo goes for Seattle, and it is old to be determined who's going to be on the bump for the Metropolitans. This is a game that is presently off the board. I was seeing DraftKings posting up a number a little bit earlier, and this has to be a total error because they had Luis Castillo as a minus 130 favorite, and right now I've got lined up for the best David Peterson. If they give us that number once again, I will greatly advise a play on the Seattle Mariners. But with that said, assuming we do get... Peterson, who is no relation, going for the bets against Luis Casio. I set the Mariners at a minus 184 on the money line of would be one layup to a minus 115 on the run line to where an eight or less looking at the over eight and a half higher to the under end. For Luis Casio, he is very live for the Cy Young Award, by the way. I think that he's been having a very nice season. Has had his issues a little bit on the road, but he's been able to rectify those. It's really two bad road starts that doomed him. I think that he had one in Kansas City, if memory serves correctly. I know that he had one in Boston as well. To give up four runs in Kansas City, as a matter of fact, a few starts ago. But all in all, for Luis Castillo, his hits per nine rate is leading among American League starters. 10 strikeouts to 2.1 walks per nine, 9301 ERA compared to a 365 fielding independent. And he's going to be going up against someone that, if it is Peterson, honestly has gotten the short end of the stick and has been significantly better at home rather than on the road. And we've noticed that with him. We've noticed that with Tyler McGill as well. New York has been providing a very good pitcher's ballpark, and the Mets have been the top under team at home among National League teams as far this season, as they themselves are dead last in the National League with regards to home batting average. They entered into the day on Friday, inning at 228 as a collective. Only the Yankees and the Oakland A's have a worse home batting average out there in the league. As for the Metropolitans, you got a few guys at the top that are able to do a nice job. Pete Alonso has been able to give you 38-plus home runs. Post-All-Star break has been able to move the line, give you about a 350 on base. You've had Francisco Lindor post-All-Star break be able to give you about a 375 on base as well, but you just have all sorts of issues with the bottom of the fold with the likes of Mark Ventinos, Jonathan Oruz, along with Tim LaCastro. These guys just have not been able to give you anything whatsoever. Flip side for the Seattle Mariners, ever since the All-Star break, this has been a really awesome offense, sitting north of a 260 as a collective, which that's what's been ailing them. The Seattle Mariners have always had power in the lineup. They just have not had 
Those guys who consistently be able to move the line, now they've got that as. And Eugenio Suarez is up to giving you about a 330 on base. Julio Rodriguez, he, beat, he had a month to remember in August as he was hitting north of a 370. He had uh, five separate four-hit games. He's up to 20-plus home runs. Cal Raleigh has been able to give you 25-plus home runs. Doesn't give you much in the way of being able to move the line, but Ty France does as well. Josh Rojas has been solid as well. So like the way that the Seattle Mariners have been able to round out this lineup, being able to do a solid job against both righties and lefties. And now they go up against a Mets bullpen that has struggled all season long. And ever since they sold off pieces, it's gotten even worse. They're 26th in the big leagues with regards to bullpen ERA. Brooks Raley giving you about a 325 ERA. Is relatively okay, but Trevor Gott has been getting got all season long. I actually like Adam Kolarik. He's been able to do an okay job, but it looks like he's now on the fold for the team as well. Jeff Brigham is someone that you have no faith in. Phil Bickford is terrible, and for the Seattle Mariners, they just continue to get the job done with their bullpen. Over the last three days, they are number two in the American League with regards to bullpen ERA, top four bullpen in terms of ERA all season long. As guys like Gabe Spire, Justin Topa, Andres Munoz, you just go down the list of guys that would be able to supply a sub-3-3 ERA. They've been tremendous for this team, and I do think that the Mariners should be able to outclass the Mets in this spot. If you do get Peterson versus Luis Castillo, we'll be willing to lay up to a minus 115 on that Mariners run line. would need at least plus 185 to take a shot on the Mets, and then Adrian Lussell could have the over 8.5 higher to the under. 977, 978 on the betting board. It is the Baltimore Orioles on the road facing off against the Arizona Diamondbacks as Slade Sassoni is on the bump for Arizona and Kyle Bradish is on the bump for Baltimore. Nine is the total over and under both at minus 110 with Baltimore. They are between minus 130 to minus 140 favorites and between plus 114 to plus 122 is your number on Arizona. With the Snakes, I need at least a plus 144 to be able to take a shot. I'm going to be taking Bradish and company as Bradish has done a really good job of being able to reduce the amount of walks that he gives out. Last year, he was up right around three and a half walks per nine innings allowed. That was very costly from this year. That's down to 2.4 walks per nine innings, and his strikeout numbers are relatively the same as they were a season ago. 8.8 strikeouts per nine innings as he has supplied a fielding independent of a 3.45 ERA, more in the neighborhood about a 3.03, and he has given up a grand total of four runs over the course of his last four starts. Now, if you do have a little bit of trepidation with Bradish, you do want to note that he has not been the same pitcher on the road that he has been at home. 3.65 road ERA, 2.26 home ERA. On the road, though, he's still giving up less than a home run per nine, and he's a strikeout-to-walk ratio on the road as well. It's been about 3.9, just Baltimore plays a little bit more pitcher-friendly with regards to those balls in play. Meanwhile, for Sassoni, he's actually been really good since he's gotten brought up for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but I do have to wonder if this is built on sand just a little bit. His command has been tremendous. 1.7 walks per nine innings. He only gets right around six strikeouts per nine innings. 250-70 area. Fielding independent of more around a four, and he has given up one, two, or zero runs at every single one of his appearances. He's also gotten the benefit of facing off against some more rough offenses. Now, going to Coors is never an easy task. He did a solid job there, but he got the Reds when they've been struggling on the road against the Giants, the Padres, have been all over the place as well. So it's been interesting to take a look on that front, but he's also backed up by a bullpen that has been horrible. For the Arizona Diamondbacks over the last three days, they are posting up an ERA that is north of... 560 in that bullpen, and if you take a look post-All-Star break, they have been a bottom five team with our regards to that as well. Miguel Castro, Scott McGill, guys that were relatively solid towards the beginning part of the season. They have went completely down the tubes, outposting up north of four ERAs. Kyle Nelson has been able to do a relatively okay job, but man, 
There's really not a lot of faith that you can have there. And for the Orioles, they're sixth in the league in terms of bullpen area over the last three days. They've been one of the best all season long. But as we know, you know, Felix Bautista on the fold. And we have seen Yanir Cano have a few hiccups ever since his tremendous start to the season. But you've got Danny Colombo, I think, is going to be able to do a solid job. Shatera Fujinami, the advanced numbers say that he should be better than his right around like 70 RA. But hard to be worse than right around his 70 RA. Meanwhile, for Baltimore, just one of those teams that I keep saying it on this podcast. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts with regards to the lineup. Ellie Rushman, he always bats leadoff. He gives you about a 365 on base with 16 home runs. And then two through seven slash two through eight, depending upon the night, they all give you about like a 310 to a 335 on base. Really nobody above that, nobody below that. Anthony Santander, Gunnar Henderson, they're two of those guys. Combined 48 home runs. And you've been able to have good production out. Ryan Mountcastle got the day off yesterday, but he's been able to provide north of a 340 batting average ever since he got off the injured list. You've had someone like a Jordan Westberg who's been able to do a nice job being able to get on base, getting back Cedric Mullins has been big as well. And for the years in the Diamondbacks, you got a fearsome foursome. Corbin Carroll, Quitao Marte, Lourdes Gurriel between 20 and 23 home runs and then Christian Walker, 28 bombs with having Walker hitting about a 270. Marte, Corbin Carroll right around about a 350 on base and Carroll 41 stolen bags. He has been very solid. And Tommy Pham, ever since he's gotten into town, he's been solid as well. Got a home run taken away by a little kid with his glove and everything like that. But on all over the last three days, it hasn't been quite the same production that he's had with the Mets, but has been able to provide a solid bat. You get back in the fold as well. Evan Longoria, who him being out of the fold and on the injured list, I felt like was a big deal for the team. They had to throw guys like Nick Ahmed and company for my at-bats. It's not necessarily too great, but to have some big-time question marks with his Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen, I do think that Bradish is going to be able to go out there, get the job done, and I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. Somebody's still at 9.7. Looking at the over to go along with that Orioles money line, 979-980 is the last game on the board. The Rockies play us to the Toronto Blue Jays. As Yusei Kikuchi goes for the Jays, and Ty Block is on the bump. For Colorado, 12 to 12 and a half is the total. On the 12 and a half, under is minus 125. The over is plus 105 on the 12. The over and the under are in between minus 105 to a minus 115. With Yusei Kikuchi and company, between minus 170 to minus 190 is what you're laying on the Jays. Between a plus 150 and plus 165 is your number on Colorado. Would have needed a plus a 233 or higher to take a shot on Ty Block. I think that this guy is doing for all sorts of regression. I was talking about the lack of strikeouts that Dallas Keiko is getting at. He's not quite on that level, but he's not too far off. For Mr. Block, a 394 ERA. This is not going to last. A 468 fielding dependent. He's getting 4.9 strikeouts per nine innings, giving up 1.1 home runs per nine innings. And now has to face off against the Blue Jays at course. Now, for Toronto, it has been a slog for this offense, to say the least. We expected so much more out of these guys. They now have Bobichet back on the injured list, but I will say, this young Davis Schneider kid has been giving you a home run every about like nine or so at-bats, hitting a 400. It's a very small sample size, so there will be some regression, but he's been able to do a nice job of being able to fill in, and then, that's it. You just have a lot of guys for the Toronto Blue Jays that it feels like their on-base percentage is somewhere between about a 325 to a 345. You've got Vlad Guerrero Jr., George Springer, Whit Merrifield, Kevin Kiermaier, just all in that fold. And for Vlad Guerrero Jr., he's been able to do a little bit of a better job of going yard recently, 20 home runs. But, I mean, this is very much a down season for Vlad Guerrero Jr. And 
I think that those ballpark dimensions have really been throwing him off because at home, Flag Guerrero Jr. is hitting about a 235 with seven home runs. On the road, a 360 on base, 295 average, 13 home runs. So, I mean, on the road, you still expect a little bit more, but I mean, these Blue Jays bats have been significantly better when they've been away from Toronto. Meanwhile, you've got a Colorado bunch at. It's been all sorts of up and down with them. Typically, they've got the most demonstrative home and road splits in the big leagues. They still do have some splits. This is a bunch at at home. They're hitting about 30 points higher than they are on the road. They're hitting about a 266 at home, more around a 230 when they're on the road. But last season, they're averaging north of 5.6 runs per game at home, fewer than three runs per game on the road. This season for the Rockies, more like five runs per game at home and about 3.7 runs per game on the road. So the splits have been a little bit less demonstrative. And you have seen the Rockies bullpen just go completely down the tubes. Brent Suter, Justin Lawrence, Daniel Bard, who are very reliable towards the beginning part of the season. They've stunk. Over the last three days going to yesterday, they had a 706 bullpen. Anyway, I recognize that you're pitching at Coors, but that's still very unacceptable. Meanwhile, for the Rockies, you got Ryan McMahon, who's been able to slug out 22 home runs for this offense. Elias Diaz has been able to move line, hitting about a 270 as well. You get back in the fold, Charlie Blackman. Blackman, just a ever-so-constant hitter, being able to give you about a 380 on base. But I do take a look at this spot, and I think that it's going to be very tough going up against a guy in Yusei Kikuchi, all of a sudden has really been able to find it. Now, I'm not completely buying into Yusei Kikuchi because the advanced numbers they do tell you that regression is a coming for him. 422 fielding independent, 363 ERA, but 9.5 strikeouts to 2.5 walks per 9. And he said, what was a kryptonite earlier in the season for Yusei Kikuchi? He was giving up just way too many home runs, and he's been able to do a good job of rectifying that. And as a matter of fact, you don't have to go back too far. Like right around the 4th of July, he was posting up an ERA that was hovering in the neighborhood about a 424 ever since that time. It has been a renaissance for Yusei Kikuchi as he has allowed three runs or fewer in seven out of his last eight starts in this recent run of his last eight starts. 228 fielding independent, 236 ERA, getting about 10 strikeouts per nine innings and allowing just one home run while giving up 2.2 walks per nine innings. He has looked like a completely different pitcher and for the Blue Jays, they back him up with a top six bullpen in the big leagues. Jordan Romano has been able to be a very good closer for this team. And then on top of that, Jay Jackson. When he's been out there, Eric Swanson, as he's been a little bit banged up, Tim Mesa, maybe they will give you a sub-3-3 ERA. Jordan Hicks is never a guy that I've been too fond of, but certainly better than most bullpen relief pieces. And then you've been able to get Bowden Francis to give you some good relief as well. So a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to lay the Jays on the run line. So this more around a minus 165. I'm finding that between minus 120 to a minus 125. Made my total a 12.4. Personally, I would rather have a 12 over that rather than a 12 and a half under. So looking over and looking at the Jays on the run line, and that will wrap things up for the Saturday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer far those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNNRSquarty1. Keep in mind, letters they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you're in this podcast, five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. 
old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.